0: So we're going to be in um, Acts chapter 24 tonight, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. We'll get there in just a few moments, Acts 24. So if you were here the last time I spoke, um, we talked about the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And we talked about that uh, during the end of his third missionary journey, he's traveling back to Jerusalem, and the people that he's talking to, they're, they're all saddened because he keeps telling them, hey, I'm probably not going to see you guys again because persecution lies ahead for me. And people keep prophesying over him that persecution lied ahead for him in Jerusalem. One prophet took his belt and bound his own hands and said that, that the person who owns this belt will be bound in this way. Um, but Paul knew his calling and knew what God was calling him to do. So he pressed pressed on to Jerusalem. And so that's where we kind of left off last time. just want to give you a little bit of background before we jump into tonight's story. Just kind of fill in a little bit of what's happening uh, since then up until the scripture we're looking at tonight. So Paul enters Jerusalem and um, some of the leaders of the church um, um, uh, uh, that don't really like the fact he's reaching out to uh, Jewish pe- or to uh, Gentile people and people that aren't necessarily 100% sold out as Christians, start uh, stirring up the crowd against him. And so, with little surprise, the prophecies against Paul end up coming true. And so, he gets arrested, and there's an assassination attempt on his life. Um, so, um, Paul learns of this and he gets the notice to the to the centurion that's guarding him um, and he the, the centurion sends him to the provincial governor whose name is Felix um, and he's in Caesarea so he sends him there uh, with a letter saying in, um, who he is and why he was arrested. So after arriving in Caesarea Paul is arraigned uh, by Felix um, the Sanhedrin hires a lawyer by the name of Tertullius and Tertullius presents his his case I'm um, not going to take any time to really dig into tonight, but if, if you look into his, his arguments, there's not much of a case there. He's just using flowery words and um, presenting half-truths um, as, 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 a, uh, uh, as they pr- pr- prosecute him. And so Paul gets an opportunity to speak next. So he, he defends against all of these uh, charges against him, and he's able to defend them all. And most Bible scholars would agree that Paul clearly wins the argument. Um, it clearly wins the argument because Tertullius doesn't really have a case um, against him. Uh, but in verse 22, Felix basically says, you know what, I've heard enough. And he dismisses Paul's accusers. And he says, when uh, Lysias, who's a tri- uh, the, tri- uh, the tribune that had arrested him, when he shows up, I will decide on the case. And so he procrastinates on making a decision on the case. And he keeps Paul in custody, but he doesn't put him just in in jail. He puts him more of under house arrest. And so Paul being under house arrest opens some doors to Paul. It gives him opportunity to be able to share the gospel, to share some the, the the truth of the gospel with Felix and his wife, Drusilla. And that's what we're going to look at tonight is verses 24 to 26, where Paul gets an opportunity to be interview, interviewed by Felix, and he has an opportunity to share the gospel with Felix and his wife, Drusilla. And through this, I think we'll be able to see an example um, of at least of some, some things that we should include as we're sharing the word of God with others. And then looking at uh, Felix and Drusilla's response, see some great examples of how not to respond to God. So before we jump into that, just give you a little bit of background on on the main characters. Um, Hopefully we all know Paul. If you've been here, I'm pretty sure we've been talking a lot about him. So I'm not going to mention anything on him. But there's two new characters that are in the story tonight, the Felix and Drusilla. Felix is an interesting person because he was actually born a slave in the Roman Empire. And he was actually the first slave in all of Roman history to become a governor of a province. And we might be tempted to look at this through the lens of, of, of the American dream and say, wow, it's kind of a regs to riches story. You know, he started at the bottom and clawed his way up to the top. But that's not really the case here in, in Felix's case. You see, he was freed uh, from, a, uh, from being a slave when he was a child. Um, he and his brother were both freed by uh, a, a lady by the name of Antonia. And she was the mother of the crown prince, Claudius. Um, his name might sound familiar. We've talked about him before um, but he would soon, he would one day grow up and be emperor. And so Felix and, and more, more of his brother than, than Felix become great friends with, with Claudius growing up together. So much so that uh, when Claudius becomes emperor, um, he persuades him to, to make his brother a government official in, in Palestine under a man by the name of Cuminus. And uh, uh, Cuminus is eventually deposed as, as governor, and Philip takes his, his office. Now, during Felix's uh, uh, governorship over the Palestine, insurrections and anarchy um, increased throughout all of Palestine because of his brutality. Um, A Jewish historian by the name of Josephus um, tells that he repeatedly crucified various leaders of uprisings um, during his reign. A Roman historian by the name of Tacitus um, describes him this way, a master of cruelty and lust, who exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave? So, if I were to sum up the kind of the, the, the general character of Felix, I would say he's dishonest, greedy, cruel, brutal, scheming politician. So let's take a look at his wife, Drusilla. So Drusilla was actually Felix's third wife, and Felix was Drusilla's second husband. Um, Drusilla was the youngest daughter, daughter of. Uh, Agrippa the Agrippa the I, who might sound familiar. Um, we've talked about him before as well. He's the, a king over, um, over a, a several provinces in Rome at this point. So Drusilla was originally married to a, a, a man by the name of King Az- Azizus of uh, SM, SMA, which is an EDB lieutenant kingdom in modern-day Syria. So, but, but Felix at one point during his reign, he had, he saw Drusilla and he and he wanted her. Um, so he hired a magician to go and convince her to to leave her current husband and to um, come and, and and live with uh, Felix. And so, uh, Drusilla, not being very uh, uh, happy with her current husband, said he he wasn't very exciting. Um, uh, she fakes an illness and goes to be with Felix. And so they, be, they, they be begin an illicit uh, a love affair, if you will, that eventually ends up with them being married. And at this point in her life, she's barely 16 years old. History records her as unusually beautiful, with ambition and lust unequal to any except that of her husband, Felix. But unlike Felix, who, was, who grew up as a, as a pagan, as a worshiper of false idols, Drusilla was, uh, was born a Jew, and she was raised in, in, in Jewish faith. Though it's fairly obvious at this point in her life that she's not following, um, uh, not living out that faith. So that's a little bit about the characters um, that we're going to be talking about tonight. So let's go ahead and jump in it. We're going to pick up in verse 24. Um, Keep in mind that uh, Paul is under a continued house arrest. Um, Felix and Drusilla had just left town. They're just returned and they're about to summon Paul. So as we look at this, um, I think we'll get some insights into how we might proclaim God's word. So Acts 24, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was a Jew, who was Jewish. And, and he had sent for Paul and heard him speak on faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the presence. When I have opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. So Paul here, he, he delivers the Word of God with boldness. He doesn't really care about who he's talking to and that this person that, that he's telling about the gospel um, could could literally end his life at that very moment with, a, with just an order. But this message, was probably not the message that this illicit couple wanted to hear, they probably had called him to talk about uh, to, to learn some dissertation on the f- a future resurrection, or perhaps some arcane point of rabbinic theology but they likely thought that Paul quickly stopped preaching or teaching them and started meddling in their lives. And how often can we, do we do the same thing whenever we're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do we think the pastor quits preaching and starts meddling in our affairs? But Paul spoke the truth in boldness regardless of what they thought. I once heard a story of a high school boy in a youth ministry uh, some years back that, that was full of the same type of boldness. The youth group had gone out to share uh, Christ at a summer resort, and a, and a young man by the name of Jeff, who's a young, scrawny kid, approached a group of older college-age students that towered over him. And he asked them if, he could spare, if they could spare a few minutes for him to share the gospel with them. And the biggest guy there looked down on the kid and said, if you do, we will throw you into this lake so Jeff turns around and hightails it away. But then he thinks about it. He thinks about it a little more. And he goes back and he shares the gospel with him of Jesus Christ. And when he finished, they indeed threw him into the lake. But as he was getting out of the water, he, he reflected on the experience. He said it was such a small price to pay to be able to share the gospel. He shared the gospel with the same boldness as Paul shared the gospel. And Paul uh, not only spoke it with boldness but he also presented a straightforward uh, a witness of the gospel Felix and Drusilla listened to him and as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ though basically they were there to be entertained Paul got their attention with a clear presentation of the gospel he emphasized that he emphasized that they uh, he emphasized that they would truly that if they would truly put their faith in Christ that their lives would be changed he understood their vain pursuits. He understood that they were looking for love in all the wrong places. And he was truly convinced that, that Christ could make a difference in their lives. So the apostle not only presented uh, the theology uh, of a personal salvation, but he also discussed morality and righteousness, no doubt emphasizing God's holiness and his law. Perhaps mentioning some thoughts that that he would later write down in the book of Romans, such as Romans 3 and verse 10, where he says, There's none righteous, no, not one. Or Romans 1 and 18, where it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then Paul goes on to talk about self-control, perhaps talking about things that we can find in, in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about self-discipline and how this can only come through the, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And these two people who had always lived a life, a passion, you can, al- you can imagine how well that probably went over with them. And finally, uh, last but not least, he emphasized the coming judgment warning them that they would not escape divine, divine accountability. Undoubtedly, he pointed out that, that, that God would come back and judge not only their outward actions, but their inward actions, their actions of the hearts. Wanting to win their souls, uh, wanting to win their souls, he did not soft pedal the gospel. So as we look at this portion of Scripture, I think there's a few key takeaways that we, can, that we can pull out of this as we share the gospel with other people. The first one is that we have to share the gospel with boldness. Second, it takes a straightforward presentation of the gospel. We have to be ready in season and out to be able to share the, what God has done for all of us and what God has done for us personally in our lives. And it's important that we bring into the discussion topics of righteousness and self-control. For God's righteousness is not our righteousness. A sinner might look at, look at it and say, I'm not that bad. I've never murdered anybody. Why do I need a Savior? But if we take time to explain God's righteousness versus our righteousness, we can explain that even a small white lie is the same as telling a full lie. Or we can tell from the, the Sermon on the Mount that even getting angry in our heart, God says that's the same as going out and murdering somebody. God's not righteousness is not our righteousness. And fourth, it, it takes a, d- a discussion on the coming judgments on the judgments that is to come, and immediacy of the immediacy of, of why they need to accept God as their Savior. So here in a few minutes, we're going to open this altar have some time in prayer. And if you lack boldness in your life, ask God to give you boldness. Ask God to, to lead you to resources to be able to share the gospel effectively. Ask Him for opportunities and divine appointments and, and that you would be ready to share the gospel with others. And once you share the gospel with others, we must be ready for any number of responses. So tonight, in the time that we have left, i would take a look at three different responses that, we can, that the people can have to, to the gospel. It's three different case studies, if you, if you will. The first one we're going to look at is Drusilla's response. Now, in the case of Drusilla's response, we can't know for sure what her reaction is because it's not recorded um, in Acts. But perhaps the lack of mentioning any response is her response. You see, she, was, she grew up as a Jew. She would have grown up um, hearing about the topic of the law, about a coming Messiah, about living a moral life. But now that she's living in sin and turned her back on all those things, she is likely unaffected by what she heard. Her heart is likely hardened to all things of God, especially the gospel. And again, we can't know for sure that that was what her response was, but it's definitely a possibility. Next, let's take a look at what, a response that we can clearly see, and that's the response of Felix. In the, in the text, uh, for Felix's response is clearly described. It says that he's alarmed, or other translations say he's afraid, or some other translations say that, that, he's terif- uh, that he trembled. And if you take a literal translation of the Greek word there, it literally translates terrified, that he was terrified by what he had heard. So Paul saw the, this fear in his eyes. He saw the conviction in, in Felix's eyes. And at this point, he was at the continental divide of his life where he had a, a, it was time for him to make a choice, to, to either believe in God and make a change, to, make, to repent and, and make a change in his life, or to continue on with his rejecting, rejecting Christ. And his response is, he hesitates for a moment. And then he says, that's enough for now. You may leave, and when it's convenient, I will send for you. And he made a potentially fatal, f- a fatal error in his life. That is a, an error of, of procrastination. And it's perhaps an error that he has made a lifetime of doing. Because it's in this short chapter, we can see that he procrastinated twice. First, he procrastinated on making a decision on the trial, saying that when the centurion came up, that he would make a decision. But uh, Paul had brought with him a letter from the centurion that would have been more than enough for him to make a decision on the case. But he put it off making a decision on the case. And second, as Paul is preaching and teaching to him, he procrastinates on a much more serious matter is a matter of a response to the gospel. So he puts off his response for the gospel. And Felix didn't say here, You know, Paul, be quiet, I don't want to ever hear of this topic again. But instead he said, Go away and when I have time I'll summon you again. So they likely talked on that same topic again. But his motives, uh, to be clear, his motives were, were, were clouded by the sin in his life, were clouded by greed. We can see that in verse 26 where it says at the same time he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, that he would be bribed by Paul that for him to be released. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. So he frequently talked to Paul for the sake of his greed instead of for the sake of his soul. And perhaps through through the through repetition of hearing the same topics over and over again, that truth dulled in his potency because it's never recorded again in, in, in this story that he trembled ever again, just that first time. And as far as we know from, from, from the scriptures, he never stopped his procrastination. He never made that decision for Christ. So the last example I'd like to take a look at tonight might seem a little bit unlikely uh, uh, because it's a few chapters back, uh, but it's a, it's a story that we've talked about before. And it's, it's, just, it's another story where somebody hears the gospel and they, they too respond with fear and trembling, much like Felix did. And this is a, in Acts 16. I'm not going to take time to read it tonight because we, we've covered it before in another sermon. But I'll give you just a brief summary just to bring it back to your mind. This is a story of Paul and Silas and Uh, They're in uh, uh, Philippi, and they're preaching the gospel. And there's a slave girl there that's demon-possessed, and she's a fortune teller, teller, and she's going around uh, behind them and and stirring up the crowds and being distracting. And Paul eventually turns around and commands the evil spirit to come out of her. And for the first time in her life, she's truly free. But her owners look at her, and and all they can see is the loss of income. They too were greedy, much like Felix is greedy. And so they stirred up the crowd, and they get Paul and Silas thrown into uh, jail. And Paul and Silas spend that whole night praying and and singing praises to God. And around midnight, there's an earthquake, and all the prison doors swing open. And there's a guard there, and, and he's about to take his life, but Paul stops him. And then it says that the guard rushes into the the cell. And it says, with fear and trembling, he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And his life is forever changed. So as we look at how to apply these, these, these three different scenarios to our lives, I think there's a couple things that we can consider. First, we must, be prepared to sh- the, uh, um, we must be prepared as we share the gospel for a variety of responses. Whether we share the gospel and people look back at us with a blank stare as if they didn't hear a thing like Drusilla possibly did. Whether they, they say, yeah, 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 I'll get around to that, and they procrastinate much like Felix did. Or if they're like the jailer and they're, they're all but begging you for, for more information on how they can be saved. And part of us being prepared, uh, part of us being prepared for, for his response is, is learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit might say, hey, there's procrastinating, push them a little bit harder. Maybe they'll, they'll make a decision. Or he might be saying, you know what, you've you, you sowed the seed. You have to let it germinate a little bit and try again later. Because Paul never gave up on Felix. It says that they spoke often. And if I do Paul from reading the scriptures, I know that he, he would have spoken on the, on, on the gospel time and time again with Felix. So Danny, if, if you want to go ahead and come back. As we're closing tonight, I'd like to look at one other possible application to these three responses. With the new years just a few days away, with our new church building just a few months away from being completed, with potentially new ministry opportunities just a few months away, And in this time of the year when people are setting New Year's resolutions, I wonder if God were to ask you to do something this year, maybe just be more faithful in your prayer and Bible reading, maybe to witness to your coworker or to your neighbors, or maybe to get more involved in ministry. What would your response be? Would it be, yeah, 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 I've heard that my whole life growing up, and that's just not for me. Or would it be, yeah, 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 I definitely need to do that, but this isn't a good year. How about next year? Or would it be, yes, Lord, what must I do to accomplish that? So tonight, I'd like to open up these altars. And if, if if you need boldness in your life, come and ask God to give you that boldness to share the gospel. If you have people in your life that you're sharing, that you're witnessing to, ask God to to soften their hearts and to open their ears that they might hear the truth and ask God that they would never stop trembling at the hearing of the gospel, that they would never stop being convicted by it. And then let us all come and pray and ask God what he's wanting us to do this this year and make a commitment to answer him. Yes, Lord, what must I do to accomplish that? so that the altars are open or you can make an altar where you're at. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer and then Danny's going to come and close us out.